What up, world? It's your boy, the Puerto Rican powerhouse, the Puerto Rican kaiju, the Mike for Hire, the podcast, Mercenary Self, Christian Gerald Ramos, back at it again with a brand new review. And today, we're going to review the Amazon Prime exclusive series, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Now, before I start reviewing this short series, I'm going to just say one thing. I don't care for the trolls online who don't like the show because of the race-swapped characters. Because let's just keep it 100. Let's just keep it 100. Because I don't sugarcoat a damn thing, and I'm going to jump at it from the jump. If this was a historically accurate world with historically accurate people, mind you, I am a history minor. I get where this staying true to the story stuff comes from. It's based on reality. Now, that being said... Middle Earth is not fucking real. And I know people on the internet are like, oh, but it's based on uh, prehistoric uh, Europe. Like, listen, it's based on fantasy. I've played Dungeons & Dragons, video games. I've watched Game of Thrones. That's all fiction. It's not based on a real-world case-by-case scenario. And then people always want to throw, especially the, 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 the racist incels, are like, oh, but what if... Well, the Black Panther is white. We've had a white Black Panther. His name was the White Wolf. And uh, he is in the comics. He is in the comics a different character than Bucky. But in the movies, they made it Bucky. It was called the White Wolf when he was in Wakanda. So don't come with this narrative trying to prove your idiocracy. Like, you don't you don't draw the line at, at, at uh, dragons, orcs, and, and goblins, and wizards being not realistic. People with melon, oh my god, I can't have people of color in the fat fantasy worlds. I grow tired of this shit on the internet. I don't go online to read bullshit. If you don't like the show because of the writing, absolutely, you have all the right. If you don't like it because of the casting, sure. Because the actors aren't fit for the role, because they don't act the way of the character, I get it. But when you specifically make it about skin color on a show based on a book that's hundreds of years. Like, listen, Tolkien wasn't a hundred years, but it's Tolkien's lore. Like, he was a World War II veteran. He's, he's seen some things. He wrote the book, and I'm pretty sure there's a context where he wrote some characters a certain skin tone, too, where they were brown-colored people. The Hobbits, certain groups of them are elves. I forget which one it was specifically. Someone brought it out to me in the context. So, enough, with the, enough of it. Can, can you just for once put away your biases when you watch shows and enjoy them for what they are because I watched the show and enjoyed it I really did I want to review this without any taintedness and whatever but I like to just attack the stupid shit I see on the internet I'm in my 30s I've seen my fair share of racism and reality I've been called racial slurs by many people. I've had debates with racists in college, and guess who's won in those debates? Me. So don't start off with something I've dealt with firsthandly, the ignorance of people. And you know what? I hate when people want to hide and say, oh, the show's woke. What makes it woke? Because people of color exist? So you're literally making it about race, but you don't want to be called a racist. You, you really have a problem with a character because of how they look. Because, oh, it's not true to the character. The books didn't have graphics back then. They didn't wear illustrated books. They were just written books. 
if you watch Broadway plays or just plays in general, there are many characters that are look nothing like their counterparts in book because the actors are just good actors for the roles. There's plenty of times you go to Broadway and you don't see the same bullshit on the internet. Oh man, I wish you know the Hamilton cast where it's properly depicted, but but it, it doesn't stop the show from being successful. Like that's the thing. This is acting, people. It's a role you're playing make-believe so if you don't like a character because of the character and portray the character that is fine because of the acting ability don't make it about stupid nitpicking things because we've always race swapped characters i mean people forget that catwoman was first depicted as a black woman on screen by eartha kitt and people forget that Harvey Dent and almost Two-Face was first depicted by a black man. So Billy D. Williams. And those are two synonymously, quote-unquote, white characters that are people know in lore. So, until, you know, Catwoman movie. And back then with that movie, that shit movie, that movie was trash. And it got no negative press on the fact that it was Halle Berry because it was Halle Berry. She fit the sex appeal. And she's a good actress. Just casting a terrible movie. But let's not talk about that. Let's focus on what this show is about. Lord of the Rings. I loved the Lord of the Rings films growing up. One of the most awesome fandoms. I played all the video games going through. I read The Hobbit in school. Didn't read the Lord of the Rings book per se. I mean, The Hobbit kind of ends with the first book, I believe. I don't know the way our edition works. But I didn't read the whole thing. I am not a book nerd to the point where like, I'm not going to claim, oh yeah, I read all the books back and forth. But this is the issue with a lot of fandoms, like Harry Potter as well. Oh, it's not true to the book. You cannot do verbatim what you've seen a book on film or television. There's only so much time. Because if you literally put every detail of a book into a TV show, that would be 100 episodes per season for like 20 seasons. I'm serious because there's so much details in books for a reason because you're reading it, your imagination, you're just getting descriptions that you have to describe these images in your head. That's why films go faster because they don't have to describe anything you're seeing with your eyes so it's like books are great and that's one medium but there's always the oh the book was better than the movie then read the books and shut up don't watch the movies then you can't compare two things that are not alike it's based on loosely based on or based on it's not going to be a verbatim adaption and i see a lot of the discourse on the internet and i'm growing Ugh, like I'm tired of it. I really am. So, this was good. This was a good show. I enjoyed it because it was fun. Was it the best writing? I think it was decent. I have no issues with the writing of the show. And people say, oh, it doesn't have the, the token touch to it. Well, you know, the token family gave them the right to use their properties however they please. But again, if you don't like the script, I can respect that opinion, absolutely. But I liked what I saw. It was easy to follow. It was a little more easy language than Game of Thrones is. Not that Game of Thrones is hard to follow, but that old school British English is very strong and verbiage. Of th- you need a thesaurus or half the shit they say sometimes, and sometimes they speak lower and faster. You gotta focus, especially if you're trying to review it. But this show, it just felt like an ease. It felt like the way of, uh, I would say, an animated film would describe things. And that's not a this to animated films. It felt descriptive like a Disney film. It just had a lot of the elements of just letting you know who the characters are in these two episodes instead of you guessing and trying to, like, 
research the characters. They're like, okay, this person is like such and such. So let's start off with the first episode, shall we? Uh, the first episode is titled A Shadow of the Past. A young girl made a sailing ship out of water. You know, like just paper planes, she made a paper ship. And she's trying to show her friends this little paper ship can sail. Not float, sail. She made a sailing ship. Her friends tease her and throw rocks at it till it sinks, and then she starts attacking her friends. Uh, then her, her older brother comes through and talks to her like, hey, you gotta just, you know, be a little patient. Uh, and he gives her a whole him, uh, gives her a whole life speech like every older sibling does. So the Morgaf destroyed the light of the elven's home. The elves live in Linden. It's this magical kingdom where the high elves just run through the forest. And in this world, it seems that elves cannot, they can die of natural, not natural causes. They can die of death by getting killed off and by grief, but they don't die of just like old age. So technically they're immortal if as long as they don't get into combat, I mean, and lose, honestly. So they're immortal to a T. Like they don't get older at a certain age. They don't start looking old at all. And they live longer lifespans than most other beings in the world they live in. So that being said, you get a description how the elves think they're better than everybody because they have a longer lifespan. So they see themselves as the people that run, run the show. They're the ones who are the higher, quote-unquote, um monarchy that runs the middle earth world that we're living in the token world we're living in and um morgath destroyed the light this character is this big bad who are shown that not really shown it just it's spoken of like freaking Voldemort in harry potter but eventually he dies and then somebody else takes over but before we get to that point a legion of elves went to war crossing the sundering seas to middle earth now the distance between the continent where they're from to Middle Earth, if you're looking at an actual map, it looks like five times the distance that it would be from the Western Hemisphere to the Eastern Hemisphere. So we're talking like from North America or even South America, crossing to like five times over all the way to Europe or Africa. So it's like, wow, these seas are huge. It should be oceans, I call it seas, but on the map, it looks huge. So maybe that's what they're showing. like. Like maybe it's more zoomed in or something, but it definitely felt like it was a huge world. That's what I like about the show. It shows you the map of the globe as things are happening, and that's a nice little touch, added touch that you see in a lot of older films and like pirate movies, treasure, whatever. Like it's something that's again, it adds an element of. I love when the visuals tell a story, and it's not just like told to you. Like because there are certain shows, there are long in the tooth, as the old saying goes. They're long in the tooth because they get too wordy. And let's face it, society or modern society does not have the attention spans of, of society's old. So we have to see some visual aids in order to get through shows because of interest and just, we. I like visual aids. I'm an artist by nature. I am a trained artist. I like when a show or movie has some amazing visuals because it keeps me entertained. And, and I just don't need it to be such heavy on script for such little things and they get right to the point that's what i love about this show it every scene a lot is happening you blink and you miss something that's awesome because you can go back watch it again and probably catch some things that you haven't seen before instead of it feeling like you're dragging for the sake of just airtime or whatever so a legion of elves crosses seas to fight this evil uh her brother sadly does die during the war and she pledges to avenge him and take down morgaf and his forces 
so the war-torn uh, Middle Earth where they were went to fight is set in ruin and destruction and, and hundreds of years past. She is now a full-grown woman and ready to avenge all this stuff for her brother to like, take down the evil for good and almost like she is vengeful to take them take down this this big bad villain um she so hunted to the ends of the earth for sauron who is the predecessor no he is the uh i get the one who takes over because morgath was taken out but then his high sorcerer or the guy that he's like his first in command sauron is now the guy that runs these orcs so they hunted them to earth to find all the orcs left and the trails grew thin and everyone in the company fleet whatever one called the group that she runs the leader galadriel we'll get her name later on are done and they don't want to continue they are tired they want to just retire from combat they haven't seen foes in ages and they're just wasting time trekking through life so years pass centuries pass again centuries is like 20 30 years for us humans it's like it goes by slow and fast depending on what, how busy you are so they hunted to the ends of the earth finding the last sighting of sauron in his symbol where he leaves behind trails hidden symbols and in further with the north northernmost point of the world they're like this arctic tundra they hike on it and climb it in the very edge of the world uh with her company it's been years since the last orc was sighted, but they go into the cavern, and there's a, in the cavern they see this quote-unquote map, or parchment, I guess you would say. It doesn't look like anything's on there, but then she, I guess, like, bl blows off or, like, does something to it and activates the Sauron symbol that she saw on her brother's chest when he died. So she knows this guy's been here, but he's like, this guy's a... Like, this, this map is here for centuries. Who knows the last time he was here? He's probably dead man or he's gone. The, tra the trail's gone cold. It's been forever. And they keep digging in that cave, and they find an orc there, but frozen dead. So, like, this guy's probably been frozen here for centuries, too. Like, what are we doing? Uh picking little details, and she is determined. She's like, nope, this is very modern. So they arrive at a castle on top of the mountain, and it's so cold and evil that torches don't even give heat. She breaks a wall to find a secret room, and that's where she finds the Sauron symbol there and at the castle where i was mentioned earlier and she's determined to end her journey her way but her company wants nothing to do with it they're done they're like yo i'm out i want to go and retire this this pointless wild goose chase so her company gives up puts their arms down and they're gone far enough with her to the, literally the end of the world like they've traveled everywhere and anywhere found no sighting of what they were looking for so Rovanian Wilderness is where we head to next, and this is where the Hobbit's village is. Now, it is not the Shire that we see in the Lord of the Rings series. This is hundreds of years prior, so these Hobbits are still living in nomadic hiding places. They have huts, they have a lot of leading coverage, they're foraging, they're just trying to make it by, but they don't have quite a village like the Hobbit Shire that we see later down, where their descendants will eventually have, because again, this show is a prequel series. And they're out and about doing things. And these two girls, two young ladies, go on pick berries foraging. And they see a wolf-like demon dog is uh, spotting them. But they don't see him because they're from behind. They're like, don't move fast. It's just probably a dog. And then the other girl's like, no, it's definitely a wolf. They're both wrong. It's like a demonic beast that looks like a dog. Or has a shadow, casts a shadow of a dog. 
So we move on here in the Linden capital, where the high elves that we mentioned earlier live. And Elrond, the same Elrond who was the king in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, um, he is there and he's young and he's vibrant and he's positive. He's not so stoic and seasoned yet, obviously. So he's there and he's greeted by the arrival of Gadadriel, who was sent back to the elf kingdom to pretty much retire. And she's just back for supplies and she wants to head back out. And he's like, what are you doing? You just got here. You can't just go back out. And this is where things get tumultuous. Like you get a little discourse where Elrond is good friends with Galadriel, but she is not, she is so determined to continue this journey of hers. Call it like in honor of her, you know, late brother. Just she has to do this to close the wound of losing a loved one. And she can't be stopped and she's going to continue what she's going to do. So it, things are complicated. Let's just leave it at that. So they pass as far west to the Undying Lands once she finally realizes she has no more to fight the wars over. Everyone can just relax now. It took some convincing, but Elrond was there to really let her know that, hey, you've done more than we asked from you. It's time to enjoy your life and live it. So back in Linden, the elves are ceremoniously discharged of duty from wars. Days are over. The king says to the messengers, sent to the lands that war is over, and everyone is free to just relax. Peace has arrived, as they say. So the passage as far west is where the undying lands of Valinor is. This is where the elves, like their version of Valhalla, said they're not dead, because again, they can't die, so unless they're killed in combat. But this place is like just call it an exotic resort that only the elite of the elite can go to. And the passage is far west. It's a big ceremony. They're wearing the ceremony armor and they are on a barge, or I should say a ship, not a barge, a big ship, and they're just singing their way to this location. So she deserves this honor. She put in the work, she, but she feels like she has something left to give and she shouldn't be at rest yet. Um, so... Again, conflicted and internally, just keeping her mouth shut and just going along with things. So, Elrond is explaining it's a gift, but Galadriel isn't having it. And Galadriel feels conflicted as well, like I just said. And again, no spoilers, because the movie's been over 20 years. She ends up still fighting, like, you know, centuries later, so there's that. So, this obviously isn't the end of her story. And But she is the main character here, so we're kind of seeing where she escalates, de-escalates, and goes back into war, wartime again, because... Things aren't getting better. It just looks like it from a perspective until you see it really is occurring and brewing as evil is hiding in the shadows and all that good stuff. So here we go on when we're another part of the world. There's some high elves who are part of the same kingdom, but they're more like the guards that are just on posts around the world, just making sure, well, they're peacekeepers or police, pretty much police in the world. And their group here, they're going to a tavern, but they're not exactly liked. Because even in medieval times, or I would say fictional medieval times, people have a <laughs> apprehension to police and authority. Let's just call it what it is. So he's there doing his job, and he's played by this young actor who is... I've never seen him before, but he definitely plays this, like, stoic. He kind of reminds me of the uh, Grey Worm from Game of Thrones, but he's actually a Puerto Rican actor, not an English actor, just so he's one of my people. So he's... Actually, let me just go with the cast. So Galadriel is played by Morfid Clark, who has played this role perfectly as a young Galadriel. Um, we have a... Markella Cavanaugh, who plays Nori, who's one of the Hobbit, young Hobbit ladies. Uh, we have... 
Poppy, well, Megan Richards plays Poppy, who is like the young other young Hobbit uh, girl who is in the village. So these are the two young adult girls who are responsible but still have a childlike demeanor and they like to adventure. They're the ones who are getting caught with this dim wolf kind of like stalking them, right? And then the character I was talking about, the High Elves, uh, we got Ismail Cruz Cordova, who is Arundir. Arundir is the High Elf, speaking of. And he meets a lady there, played by Nazanin Bonaidi. I forgot, sorry if I butcher her name, Brownin, who is this human lady who really wants to help him out. And they, I don't know, he's been put in the post so long, they grew to like each other more than just friends, or they're kind of like friends, but in a way where it's subtle, where she knows that, you know, and people don't like the elves and uh, and whatnot, so she's just trying to help out in secret. Like, they really don't like the elves. Like, even this young lad in the tavern. Mind this kid looks like he's a teenager hanging out in a tavern, but again, different different worlds, world, different society. Uh, so, like, a young lad hates on them and says, we don't like your kind here. And I'm thinking to myself, hold up, what do you mean you're kind? <laughs> I'm just messing with you. He's, a, he's, he's an elf. They don't like the elves. Humans or elves don't get along. It is what it is. Again, authority, anti-authority. This town is a bunch of grungy commoners, serfs, whatever. They're just like, what is? what are these guys doing here? So... The young lad hates on him because he's taken over their lands and the true king will eventually come back and take their land back and the, the barkeep is trying to keep him from like getting in trouble arrested and he even throws a punch at the kid to shut him up but then the guard elf Aaron Deer stops him and is like hey it is what it is he has an opinion he hasn't attacked me don't, don't hurt don't hurt the kid he's just a young kid and then the young boy walks away as somebody pulls him aside so outside the pub the young woman I was mentioning of Brunnen gives him seeds of a hard-to-find flower that he knows about. And they have a friendship, a bond. They have this more than buddies, but not quite a romantic. Get, the tension's there, but they're not quite. We'll see where it goes throughout the season. <laughs> so this friend of his tells him that um, not to get to it. This other friend, the other elf that he's with, because they're just like police officers, so they're just in pairs. So, you know, you've got your partner. He's like, hey, don't get so close to that human lady now. She, you know how things can go down the path a certain way. Like, it's not going to always end pretty. And it is what it is. But back in the guard tower of the town, they're giving the message that the guard post stationing has ended. He's been there 27 years. He's like, oh, it's done? He actually grew fancy to like this area. He's like, well, yeah, the war's over. There's no need for us anymore to guard anything. So he takes this with a moment to like reflect, like look at the, the horizon of the land that he's been, he's been watching. He's like... His partner's like, what's going on? He's like, well, you know, I'm like, grew attached to this place. I've been here almost 30 years. Just wanted to take it all in before we head out. So at the woman's house, her son, Theo, and her are talking business. I guess they run a business where they take her animals, but also he does little jobs here and there. And no husband in sight, which is why I said there was some tension earlier. So maybe, you know, she's chilling outside of bars looking for some TLC, just saying, you know. <laughs> so at their house, her son and is there he's like he seems like a nice kid but he's definitely gets in some mischief he doesn't have like the most trusting face so the other elven guards visits her uh i mean arendir the elven god visits her and bids her farewell as he's gonna let her know that hey my post is ending uh our, this is gonna this is it but in front of her house a man on the front of her door because he went through the back door in the front door he's asking like hey healer um do you heal animals and his cow isn't doing well it looks like it's a starving cow and she grazed by Horden and it made her milk turn like to black sludge or whatever. It was so crazy. So this is where Avenir's like, this isn't right. This is like the work of some evil. Where was it? Well, it was like a day's walk that way. So he's going to head out. Her son shows 
It's his buddy, who happens to be the tavern kid who started some shit. A broken sword that he found, and it's, it's well, you can tell it's an evil sword because it's black and it's got a gothic look, so it looks like something out of Sauron's army. And Lord behold, that you find out at the end of the episode, eh, it kind of yeah. Again, if you know Lord of the Rings, you know the weaponry. Lord of the Rings, you're like, oh, that weapon looks evil. Just point blank. So we're back in London, and Elrond talks to the king about his worries of Galadriel and how she is not backing down, and she's being hard-headed. Let's just keep it up. Like she, he's conflicted to turn her in, but he has to say something because he knows that she might go and escape and go back to back to combat. And then the king and Elrond have a meeting and. This is where Lord Calibrinbor was wants to speak to them about a new project. And if you know anything about Lord Calibrinbor, he is the guy that creates the Ring of Power, but he also created many other rings. So this is the origin story of the ring, or rings that everyone was searching for this ultimate power. So, that being said, it opens up a whole new chapter into our story. We're getting to see the origin of why this precious ring became such a sought-out piece of jewelry. So, we move on, and Galadriel doesn't completely follow through with her decision to go to this paradise world where the elves can retire and just hang out. She actually ends up jumping ship right before the ship goes through this portal that's open from their singing, and then closes, and then she's just in the middle of the ocean. I'm like, what is she doing? She is done. She doesn't want to... <laughs> she wants to do things her way because she knows her job isn't done yet. And my gosh, if you, this isn't the termination or the most stubborn human... from stubborn elf being I've ever seen. That's our main character who knows that she has a hunch and she's following it through. She'll go to retire soon enough if she's proven wrong, but she's like, I'm almost there. I have this strange feeling, and I'm kind of glad she does because, again... If you know the Lord of the Rings series, she's one of the generals of the Elven army later down the road. And finally, her gut instinct was very much on, on, you know, on good instincts. So that being said, this is the end of the first episode. We're going to take a small break. Sorry, that was very long-winded. I went through a few tangents here. We'll be right back with a review of the second episode. So don't move. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. We're here to continue to see a review of the Lord of the Rings series, uh, Rings of Power, uh, episode two, titled Adrift. So we start off where Nori and Poppy find a man in the woods surrounded by fire. He fell like a comet, and he just, just literally napping or sleeping, or he looks dead as he's surrounded by a ring of fire. So she, I, get, I think it was Nori, falls into the pit, and she sees an old man resting in the center of the flames. Her friend Poppy is like scared to approach because obviously it looks strange. Any sighting you see of a human being falling from the, from the skies. So she's like, Hokum sees he's alive and he is. And he wakes up and he howls, but then he goes back to sleep. It's a weird moment because when he wakes up, the fire goes away, goes back to sleep, the flames are back up. Almost it's like this is a wizard of sorts and that fire is a protective shell. So when he's asleep, he can defend himself against whoever tries to approach him, I guess. So, uh, animals, you know, it's just a defense mechanism. But this guy is just, looks like a hobo in the street. So, the Sadok Burrows, Malva, and Marigold Brandfoot check out on the comet that fell, or not knowing that Nori and Poppy already found it. 
So Sadik Burrows and Mava and Marigold. So Sadik Burrows is an older gentleman. Mava and Marigold seem to be like his sisters or like just... They seem like townsfolk who are not just nosy, but they're like the town watch because, you know, hobbits are not exactly the confrontive type. They don't fight. They want to just hide and survive. Their survival instincts are not to engage and attack, but to hide. And they're light on their feet, so they don't not... Their stealth is good. Let's just put it that way. But they see the strange sighting of a comet falling, so the curiosity hits them. So... Thinks it's ominous that a starfall has occurred because I don't know, just one of those old people things. And but it could also mean something's approaching. But it kind of is because this wizard either is a villain or a hero character. We don't know yet. I'm assuming he's a good guy. It doesn't seem like he's evil. But he's here because of an omen that's coming, which we all are preparing for, especially characters like Galadriel, who's expecting things to go awry eventually. And of course, Brownin and Arondir, who are seeing things happening. And they're like, wait a minute, things are getting a little strange now. So they see this happening. The girls are trying to identify the man. They grab him and they put him on a cart and try to hide him essentially in the woods somewhere else. Yeah, so no, they're like, is this guy a giant? Nah, he can't be. He looks like regular human size. They're like, oh, is he an elf? He's like, nope, he doesn't have the pointy ears and he's not handsome enough either. Uh, he's just foreign to what they're known because hobbits are short people. They're halflings, like in Dungeons and Dragons, they're smaller humans. And this guy is super tall for them. Especially, he's probably super tall for regular human beings, but he's a big person. So they have to find a way to hide this giant man. They're like, they have no clue. So the girls don't identify what's going on here, and they're a little, you know, worried and scared. Poppy more worried. Like, Poppy Proudfellow is very much the more, like, you know, you can say worry war character. And she thinks that he could be a danger, a posed danger to Eleanor and Nori Brandyfoot. Eleanor... Well, Nori is sure for Eleanor. Eleanor Brandyfoot, that's her name, full name, thinks she's, thinks Poppy's overreacting and this guy is just a regular dude that's, I'm like, listen, he ain't a regular dude if he's thrown from the sky and he's covered in freaking fire when he's, when he naps. Things are definitely magical, but if he doesn't look at the, seem like a danger, that I get. That could be, they could work in their favor. So, Poppy and Nori have conflicting views but they're friends and like, alright, we'll help this guy out and hopefully when he wakes up we can get some information out of him. So back in town where Brown and Arendir, this is the guard and the human that him and have befriended each other, uh, they finally arrive the day's travel into the town and they find it in ruins like if some giant earthquake or tremor happened and but everything looks like it's destroyed and they go to a house of a friend that she knows and underground underneath it I should say the house is a giant tunnel and they're like this wasn't caused by no damn earthquake this definitely was the work of something else and he's like well I'll investigate and she's like be careful down there and he goes out and sees what's investigates what's below so we move on where Ergini I guess I can't pronounce it Ergion Ergon the realm of the Smith Elves this is the name of the town world kingdom whatever you want to call it it's 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 a beautiful site it's like a cliff town where they all just well this are the smiths of of these of the elven world uh, they all gather so there's a they're there and elrond is talking with kellen brimbor and the story of the found arts hammer and he built the entire town with it and the society of morgoth took over and destroyed and took advantage of his skills and he made weapons for him so take complete control of the world and almost collapse their society so like the hammer is a symbol of it's helping growth in the wrong hands it can help grow evil as well because whoever's in power is in charge is whoever just runs runs the show 
So Celebrimborg explained to Elrond his plan to build a giant tower that has the ability to pretty much oversee everything. Sound familiar? And he needs it built by next spring. But he doesn't have the manpower, doesn't have enough elves. So he's like, there's got to be another way we can get enough people to get this thing up and running for next season. Granted, we don't know why he's exactly for next spring, but I'm assuming it's the fall time. And he's like, uh, I have an idea. So luckily Elrond being the politician, he knows people, he has friends in the Dwarven Kingdom of Khazad Doom, the realm of the dwarves who are very diplomatic alliance. He's trying to see if he can talk to them because they're on speaking terms, but they're not on working terms together. They're not like coexisting as a, as a business sense. So Elrond and Celebrimbor seek to speak to Prince Thorin the Fourth, and they get denied. So Celebrimbor admires, well, before they get there, Celebrimbor admires of the dwarven, dwarven culture people sculpt stone with beauty and grace. And then Elrond is like, not taking it back, but he's like surprised, like, wow, you really admire their craftsmanship. He's like, they really care about building. It's part of their culture. Like they really are not just more than tradesmen, but they're also artists, they're craftsmen, artisans, whatever you want to call it. They really have an eye for great, I guess you can say, symbol engineering. Let's just call it that, just planning. Like they're very much like, this is their realm of expertise where they excel in decorum and column making and stuff like that. So then they approach the door to get into the kingdom and get denied. And like, what the hell? It's like, he seeks an audience of Prince Turin and they're like, Nope. Guest denied entry. He's like, tell him his friend Elrond's here. He's like, nope. The guard is not letting him in. So he has to like figure out a way to talk to the prince. He's like, he's like, I invoke the right to Sigin Tagog. And this is where they're like, oh, you do now. And Caliburnbor's like, what did you just do? He's like, I just challenged their prince to a contest. If uh, I don't get in, then I am banished forever. He's like, okay, well, this is one way to get his attention. It's an endurance contest. They're breaking stones. Whoever can break the most stones and not give up, outlast the other opponent, wins, and the loser ends up banished from the kingdom forever. So I hope Elrond has a better strategy than to just lose and get kicked out forever, because he already is getting kicked out, but now this will make it official on paper in front of the audience. And he's there, and he's giving his all. Uh, So back with the... Hobbit Nation. Uh, Nori's father, Largo Brandyfoot, is looking for his daughter to help him out, and he accidentally gets really hurt and breaks his freaking foot horribly. It's like a grotesque twist to happen. Galadriel then, and back in the Elven world, finds a raft of people that are surviving, I guess, an attack of a giant. I wouldn't call it a shark, but a sea monster. They called it the worm. They don't trust her because why she's just floating in the middle of the ocean without any like sign of being endangered. Like, are you a deserter? Like, no, I'm not, even though she technically kind of is. Uh, but she's trying to survive, so they're all there and everyone looks beat to crap. They're like, they're on a driftwood of like a broken ship. And this is where they're like talking about the beast that's in the ocean and you didn't see it out there, did you? And so there's one human there who's, they're all humans, but this one guy, this young man, he stands out, Halbrand, his name is. Him and Galadriel are the remaining survivors of the attack of the worm because it comes back and attacks them. And this thing is enormous. It's like a dinosaur-sized fish that's just ready to eat everything it sees. So back to the contest. Elrond is keeping up with the prince and he's trying to outlast him. But in the end, he kind of gives up for a good reason. He gave a good show, though. He gave a good showing, but now he is banished from the world forever. 
So Durin then escorts Elrond because Elrond requested, hey, at least escort me out. And this is where we I see his plan unfolding. He's trying to talk to uh, Durin, who's hard-headed and keeping a grudge for some reason. And this is where Durin in the elevator, just like as a lift to go up, he pretty much airs out his grievances and lets them have it. You have been missing for 20 years. You don't bother come to my wedding. You weren't there when my kids are born. You'd even send letters. Like I know for you elves, you guys are like, in, in, immortal so 20 years isn't a big deal for us dwarves it is it, you missed a lot of our life a lot of my life can have changed in 20 years and that's true because the kingdom changed like they constructed better architecture and it, their kingdom looks more like amazing and now Elrond is called by this like wow you guys really changed a lot in 20 years like he's like yeah we are we're always getting busy working so this is where the cravings happen, and we get what really Duran was talking about, where his friend has been there when he needs him there. So they end up back in Duran's home so he can say he's sorry to his wife. He did say sorry to Duran, but he's like, I want to say it to your wife, Disa, as well, because he, you know, because he needs to make his amends to his wife as well to him. So he goes there, and Disa is happy, excited to see how Ron. She remembers him, and she insists he stays for dinner. And this is where we get a little back and forth between Duran and his wife, Disa. And Disa tells a story of how they met and how shy Duran was. And it's it's a sweet scene. You see this lovely couple here really interacting. And Elrond comments on a tree of linden growing in their garden. And Disa's like, can you believe people told Duran he couldn't grow this tree in this habitat? And Duran proved them wrong and he grew it for them. It's like, this is where the elves and dwarves have this, you could say, kingship. Or like, you know, like he respects them enough to grow the try to grow this tree out of its element and by gosh he was able to do it and he's like it shows the kind of respect that he has which is why Durin feels so, so in such a type of way because Elrond wasn't showing that same love back to him and this is supposed to be his best friend so you get this connection of like camaraderie and like being, bringing through, being through it with your friend and even though you guys are in different worlds they're living different kingdoms you can still keep in contact with a damn you know raven message or something so we're, we're, we're seeing the, the origins of a great friendship that leads on the path of... Well, again, even without watching the Lord of the Rings series, you'll see where this is kind of going, where these two guys and the story is set in this world, in this era, pretty much are dealing with stuff. So that being said, let's move on here to where... Like, where do we leave off? Sorry, I lost my place. Do, 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 do. So Durin finally caves, gives Elrond an audience. Like, all right, try to convince me. Try to convince me what it is you need me to do. Because I know you're here for something. So the two survivors are back in Lost in Sea in a smaller raft because the other then survivors now deceased uh, when got eaten. So they're there. They're trying to weather through a storm. So she asks Halbrand about the necklace on his neck, and it was a touchy subject because he thought that his kingdom might have been destroyed by Sauron, and he wants, she's on the quest to get rid of him. Of course, Galadriel tries to convince uh, him that she can take him down with his help and some forces, and of course, he's like very negative, like that ain't impossible. So he tells her the enemy is at the Southlands, because he finally gives gives up after fighting this woman. He thinks she's mad for even trying to face him. So as this occurs and they're having this big old argument, a storm comes by through and they have to weather through it and survive it. Because again, they're on a small little life raft made of four or five planks of wood or whatnot and 
yeah, it's rough. Lost in sea is not fun. So we move on back where Brownin tells the townspeople she found the neighboring village, a barren wasteland, and they don't really believe her, or they do, but they're like, well, you know, things that have happened, they don't believe her. Why? So Waldreg, who's the bartender, and I guess he's the, I guess the elder of the town, thinks she's making things up, like, hey, you're seeing things, woman, I need evidence. So Waldrick wants proof that Bronin's not spreading panic and to the townspeople for no reason. She goes back home to her son Theo, who is by the fireplace and hears a noise under the floors. And he thinks it's rats, but then he sees an eyeball. It's a person just under his flooring, and he just, just freaks out by it. And uh, this is after he attacked the floor and made a hole in it. He's like, oh, crap. So come to find out there's actually an orc under the floor. So the evil has already been here sneakily getting in. It went to the town next over, and now they're coming to this town taking one up. So Arinder navigates through the tunnel, sees scratch marks, and a fang just hanging by this tunnel. So something was clawing and gnawing through to making these tunnels. So as the mom Brownin returns home to see her son Theo, she finds the house a mess, like she got burglarized. Her son is hiding, and she and it warns her that the orc there, and it came from the ground. So she goes in a closet to hide, for not to be found. The woman is drops something in the shelving, and the orc sees it, and her and her son are able to take down and behead this orc, and she's able to take his head to the tavern and show the good old barkeep, hey. You need more evidence now? We'll leave a dawn. We're getting out of here, the whole town. So, her son was hiding. Warns of the orc. They came to the floor. She goes into hiding mode, because obviously, why not? It makes perfect sense. And we see back at sea, where Galadriel and Halbern are surviving the storm. And then you see this moment where they're, like, going through swimming, and she almost drowned, and he saved her life. They really are going through some shit. Like, it's really messed up. So, with that being said, uh, back at the Hobbit village, a stranger is intrigued by the lanterns that Poppy and Nori have and accidentally drops... Uh, Nori accidentally drops hers, and they have fireflies in their lantern. It's not like a torch. It's, it's They use live fireflies to light up their the lanterns. And it, you almost see the man kind of communicating with the animals. And... She asks Nori, what is he saying? And then Nori's like, I don't know, I don't speak Firefly. I'm like, oh, this is funny. So it's a moment where he, the Fireflies actually make a constellation of a star they should go and follow, but it's a journey that they have to go to find because it's a constellation they don't see around where they live. So the Fireflies then kind of just die, and then the guy gives them a weird look like, this is a bad omen. Again, this whole episode in the previous were a lot of bad omens, and the only real sign of danger was the orc they found. And mind you, they found the snow troll in the first episode. I forgot even we didn't bring that up. And that was like the only living monster they found up there. And they found a dead orc frozen to death. But in this episode, we're seeing live enemies that are infiltrating and sneaking, take, taking over, but not like Vikings and barbarians, but kind of being discreet about it and stealthy. So Doran's father has a audience well during his audience with his father who's the king and tells him to be careful and tells him uh, of the request from the elf and then his dad's like beware these elves they might have ulterior motives you don't know what they're looking for and he's like hey i trust him he's my best friend he's got the right intentions which is true he does elrond isn't a man a malintentioned man but we don't know what calipri moore's intentions are currently if they're 
currently someone else's request. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like this request is very specific, but who's the one giving him the request and who's the, what's their intention? That's what I'm trying to think about. Because maybe Kamen Boy is just a regular honest man. He's working for somebody who thinks he's honest, creating this quote-unquote tower that can see everything and, you know, I'm going with this. I don't want to have to say anything. So, that being said, this was an amazing episode. Uh, definitely enjoy this. Uh, oh, yeah, in the last episode, a little tidbit here. Theo pulls out the broken sword after all the chaos that happened in his house, right? And he's bled because his orc scratched at him. The blood touches Sauron's symbol on the blade. And this small, broken-up blade is now this long sword that's uh, that's pretty much a usable weapon as he leaves to... <laughs> as he leaves to town with his mom and escapes and they find a safe route where they belong. So, that being said, sorry for this long-winded ass review. Uh, great show. I give it a four to five stars so far. It's been a slow start, but in a good way. It kind of gives you the character building, which is what I intend to expect from the first couple episodes. But now that we've got established the kingdoms and the worlds and where everyone is, now we can get into the juicy part of the series and really... Like, the launch pad's already started. I can't wait to see where the show goes, is what I'm trying to say. That being said, thank you all for tuning in to this long-winded review. Mind you, the episodes are hour-plus each, so I try to keep this as summarized as possible, but there's so much that happens, and there's so much that you can leave out. I mean, I'm descriptive as possible. Kind of give you, like, the synopsis of the old series, but at the same time, it's like, man, this is... So much happens. The visuals in this show are amazing. Of course, it's on Amazon budget, so it makes perfect sense. Uh, I'm a huge proponent of fantasy shows just speaking a little bit more of leeway with their certain things. I know there's just the Tolkien purists who are like, oh, this has to be this is this and this way. I actually enjoy this show, and if you don't, that's fine. That's on you. I'm not going to tell you how to watch TV shows or movies because the same fandom like Star Wars fans want to dictate how people and gatekeep go ahead but if this show is getting great ratings from actual viewers and people are actually enjoying it see people aren't reading these bashing reviews and people are just kind of troll posting and it's going to have momentum and keep going on because it isn't a bad show and it's a lot better than a lot of the series i've seen out there and as far as fantasy we need more fantasy shows period so we can just have more different kinds of fantasy you have game of thrones for the hardcore mature audience you have this for a more family friendly uh, audience and then hopefully there's other shows out there too let's just see what else we can bring some space odyssey stuff and some you know battlestar galactica again like i want to live in a world where these the, the fantasy sci-fi genre is again dominant because that's what tv i grew up watching i watched stargate uh, battlestar i watched uh lost world like all this stuff is good stuff to watch so fantasy is back baby so that being said this has been another review of the podcast mercenary show i am the podcast mercenary himself christian joe ramos back at it again and we'll see you next time thank you for tuning in and as always enjoy your shows and have fun with them and of course please let's leave the toxicity and negativity out of it sometimes let's just be positive forward and negative last all right i'm out